0: Open your Bible, please, to John chapter 2. Today we're going to be talking on this subject, the zeal of thine house. The zeal of thine house. Last Sunday, as I understand, it was the CFL Grey Cup. And um, something like 55,000 people were there in attendance. These days, when you talk about football and soccer and baseball and hockey and basketball and other sports you're talking extremely popular things and many people in the world are very zealous they they're called fans when a when a person really loves a sport they become known as a fan and what is a fan the word fan is an abbreviation from another English word. Do you know what it is? Fanatic. I'm not making this up. Yeah, a fan is an abbreviation for a fanatic. Now, a fanatic is a person who really seems overboard in their devotion to something. And when it comes to sports, these people, these fans are actually very open with their zeal. You say, what does that mean? Open. Well, what I mean is they watch sports on TV, sometimes day and night. They talk about sports to all their friends or to whoever will listen. They purchase tickets and sometimes travel far distances to go to their games. My son told me that at his work there was a man who left yesterday to go to Seattle in order to watch a football game today. Took a hotel overnight and everything. The fanatics, they buy hats and t-shirts, which carry the names of their favorite teams. They'll even get into arguments and fights over sports. Now if you told a fan that he should be more calm, he should calm down and be a bit more reserved when it comes to his sport. Uh, Why? Because they're not acting very normal. They'd get all upset with you, and they'd say, we are normal. Maybe you should be more like us. They figure they're 100% normal. Now, when it comes to Jesus, he was full of zeal for God and for the house of God. He was 100% for God, and some people might call Jesus a fanatic. Now, if Christians are supposed to be like Jesus, and Jesus was 100% for God, what percentage, what might we be? Have you ever thought of that? If Jesus is 100% for God, what percentage are you today? That's a good question. Is there a way that we can measure our love for God in comparison to our love for things of this world? Because we all have them. We all have love for some things of this world. Is there a way we can measure our love for God? Here's a question. What if we went to visit a sports fanatic? Can we learn a lesson from the sports fanatic? Let's find out. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, please help us in this message today to learn something about zeal. Holy Spirit of God, I pray you would use this, maybe use it as a line in the sand. I pray, Lord, that more of your people would get more zealous for you. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was zealous. Lord, help us to somehow measure, figure out how we can find out where we're at in this matter, and apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if we were to somehow go and visit uh, the home of a sports fan, what do you think we might find there? How about sports flags? How about sports hats, baseball caps, all brandishing the name of their favorite team? How about cups on the shelf? How about little uh, furry little mascots, all that belong to the team? How about maybe pairs of old tickets of games they went to? What about photographs on the wall of their favorite team members or maybe a selfie taken uh, with them and their friends in a a crowd of 50,000? They'll have this and they'll have all kinds of other memorabilia, won't they? Isn't that true? Now, be honest today. How many have at least one sports memorabilia in their home today? Raise your hand if you've got something, a sports hat. Don't be ashamed. Come on, be honest with me. My hand's up, okay? All right. Oh, you put your hands down. How many couldn't raise their hand just now because they didn't want to? <laughs> one? All right. Well, we, we got a few honest souls, but you know it. If you go into the room of a sports fan, they've got it. Posters, pictures, penance, right? P- or pendants. I've got to say that word right. I'm a spiritual man. Penance is something else. Pendants, right? There's a D in there. You get the idea. They've got all this memorabilia, all this stuff. And you say to them, look at all the stuff you've got here. They say, yeah, and you say why don't you get rid of it why don't you throw it out and he never will why because all that stuff is starts with the letter i i m p say it important all that stuff is important to the sports fan well oh, come on throw out this this old uh, baseball glove get rid of it. oh no i could never get rid of that no, because that's the glove that helped the team win, you know, the, the final. Oh, well, then get, then get rid of these hats. No, no, I can't get rid of the hats. Why? Because these hats represent games I've been to, right? Well, take that poster down off the wall. Oh, no, 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 no. That's my favorite hero. Why, without him, the team could never have gotten to first place. They, they, they'll never throw that stuff out, never, because that stuff's important to them. That's why they hang on to it. Ah, maybe we've learned a lesson by our visit to the home of a sports fanatic. The importance they put on the memorabilia shows you their love for the sport. Their love for the sport is illustrated by their love for the memorabilia, for the cups and the hats and the flags and all that stuff. Do you see the connection? Yes? You could talk to me today. You see the connection? Just nod your head if you don't want to say anything. You see the connection? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. All right. I think we've learned a lesson. Because if we take this same principle and we apply it to the things of God, I think we'll find out something. Because just as the sports fan who loves his sport and puts a high regard on the memorabilia, God has given us certain memorabilia. What he's done is he's given to us a Bible, right? Amen? He's given to us a church, amen? A pastor, amen? There's other things. But what kind of value do we place on the things of God? That's a good, a good reckoning stick, if you will, a good measuring stick on how to figure how zealous you are for God. All you got to do is compare yourself with the sports hero, the sports fan, you know, and he goes to the games and he buys the tickets. You know, uh, we travel down um, 64 Avenue here to get home and we go past a soccer field. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter the time of day. It could be early morning. It could be late at night. It doesn't matter the weather. It could be sunny. It could be pouring rain. There are people out in that field. Parents and kids and grown-ups and teenagers are out there getting soaking wet, kicking a ball around. Why? Because that's their sport. And they get there early, too. They bring their thermos of hot drink, and they bring an umbrella if they need it, and they bring something to sit on. But they're prepared to go and sit for long periods of time because that's their sport. They are zealous, if you ask me, for their sport. And if we went into their home, I'll bet you find a soccer ball sitting there. I'll bet you find the memorabilia. Why don't you throw this stuff out? Whoa, no, we could never do that. That's very important stuff. And then they look at us. Ah, why don't you just forget that Bible? And we say, well, I don't know. Well, there's that church service that you go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Whoever heard of going to church Wednesday night? Why don't, you, why don't you just be more normal and calm down? Oh, okay. Aren't we crazy? We've got a perfect measuring stick staring us right in the face, the sports fan. Hey, listen, I'll give you another example that can be seen with married people. Normally, <clears throat> in this country, anyhow married people give each other rings at the uh, altar. uh, Where are the tokens, the emblems here? And they they produce rings. And, uh, all right, put the ring on her finger and repeat these words after me. Now put the ring on his finger and repeat these words after me. And so in this country, uh, married people, they give each other wedding rings. Now I know that some people put them on and forget it. I know that happens. They put that thing on their finger and they've totally forgot all about it. But then there are other married people who don't forget it. And maybe during the day they find themselves doing this, twiddling the ring on their finger or feeling it or looking at it. And it reminds them of the one they love. It reminds them of that day that they they gave their vows. There are people who who are like that. You know, that wedding ring is supposed to tell everyone that I'm spoken for. But it's supposed to tell me who it is I love. It's supposed to remind me of my vows to God for that woman. There's another measuring stick, I suppose. Um, God has given us the Bible. He's given us a church. He's given us a pastor. And how do we feel about them? There's other things God has given us as well, but just those three even. Some Christians think very little of these things, and therefore, they give them very little attention. I'm not talking about people who say they're Christians, but they're lost as can be. I'm not talking about people who go to church on a Sunday, and they can sit there and look good and sound good, but on a Monday, boy, at work, you wouldn't know they're saved. They listen to the the dirty stories, and they pass them along. And at work, they're a totally different person than they are sitting in the pew on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who are born again. They've got Jesus living inside their heart because there was a day, a point in time, where they repented of their sins and said, God, I know that if I died now, I'm going to go to hell because of my sin. Lord Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. Would you please forgive my sins and come in my heart? Be my savior. I'm going to live my life for you, Lord. I don't want to live for the world and the flesh and and sin. And at that moment, they got born again. They got saved. And Jesus, by knocking on their heart's door, and they opened their heart's door, and Christ came in. They've been a different person ever since. And that's how you know if you're saved. How do I know if I'm saved? Is there Christ-likeness in your heart? Do you have the heart of Jesus now? Do you have the mind of Jesus? And do you have the attention and the the focus of Jesus? You're you're looking a different way in life. You're acting a different way. That's the only way you can know if you're saved. Because if you imitate the world, I don't know. I wonder if even the Holy Spirit wonders if you're saved. (laughs) Well, there are some Christians who are actually saved, but they think very little of the things God has left them, the memorabilia. There are other Christians that think very highly of these things, the Bible, the church, and so on, and they hold them in much higher regard in their lives. When the things of God, and here it comes down now, when the things of God are important to us, then we know that God himself is important to us. If I could care less for that wedding ring, how am I going to feel toward the one who gave it to me? Right? Or no? Am I all wrong? Or is there some element of truth there? If I could care less, if I could just pull that ring off and and leave it someplace and go about my daily and not even notice, what does that say about the person I married? How I feel toward them? You know, it's a good thing that some of us put on a few pounds. It's a good thing after we get married, we put that ring on, we put on two or three extra pounds, we can't get it off. It's probably a good thing we have a little bit of fluffy at least on our hand, anyhow, it's a good thing. Otherwise, we'd be pulling the ring off and setting it down and going about. Say, boy, oh boy, that that would sound pretty creepy, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would. Just about as creepy, I guess, as it would sound for a Christian to uh, take off and forget certain things behind. Well, when the things of God are important to us, then we know that God Himself is important to us. And it's here that we can say that we're zealous for God in a similar fashion like how Jesus was zealous for God. Now, Jesus was, of course, very zealous for God. He was very zealous for the house of God. He was 100%. Say, why was He? Someone might say, because He was Jesus and He was supposed to be. You might look at me and say, well, you're the pastor you're supposed to be zealous. You're supposed to be here early. You're supposed to stay all day and be here late. You're supposed to be here when I call. You're supposed to be available when I need you. That's your job. Listen, I'll have you know that's my joy. It's not my job. Listen, I'm married to the greatest girl in the world. Is it my job to be there for her when she needs me? Is it my job to do things for her? No, it's my joy. Not my job, it's my joy. What is your joy? Oh, we have to go to church. Sounds to me, you've got a job, you don't got a joy. If you had a joy, wild horses couldn't keep you away from church. Yes? Isn't that right? How zealous are you for the things of God? Because that will tell you how zealous you are for God himself. God himself gave you that Bible. God himself gave you this church. God himself gave you this pastor. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4 says it. That's the truth. How zealous are you for the things of God? Hmm. If Jesus was God, and he was, he is, then I guess he would know everything, wouldn't he? Does that make sense? Is that logical? If Jesus is God, then he must know everything. And if he knows everything, he'll know what the best things are in life, won't he? He'll know what the worst things are, He'll know what the next to worst things are. He'll know what the good things are. He'll know what the very best things in life are because he he'll, he'll know everything. He's God. Right? <clears throat> Sometimes things that are bigger are not always better. Listen to me carefully. Sometimes richer is actually poorer. You say how can that be? I'll give you an example. A nickel and a dime. Which one is bigger? Talk to me. Which one is bigger? The nickel. Right. If you said the dime, you need to come and see me. Yeah. The nickel is bigger than the dime. A young child can get fooled by his older brother. His older brother's got a nickel and the young child's got a dime. And so the older brother says, little Johnny, look, you have a, a small coin, but I have a big coin. I'll tell you what, I'll give you my big coin if you give me your small coin. And little Johnny will say, sure, and we'll make that trade. Now, do you see a problem with that trade? I sure do. But as little Johnny starts growing up, he starts learning what a rotten rascal his older brother can be to him and how he swindled him. And he'll start learning that bigger is not always better. He'll start learning that richer is actually sometimes poorer. When a Christian new to the faith or an immature Christian, <clears throat> pardon me, my voice is going on me. This must be an important message. The devil doesn't want you to hear it. Some of you just thought maybe God doesn't want you to preach it. <laughs> See, how do you know? The Holy Spirit told me. <clears throat> When an immature Christian or a Christian new to the faith begins to think that the things of this world are bigger and better than the things of God, he's in for trouble. Hopefully, as he gets older and wiser, he'll start to realize that God's things are truly bigger and better and more valuable than the things of this world. And I'll tell you where to go to find that out. Go to someone on their deathbed. On their deathbed, they know they're dying. They've got maybe just a day left, a week of life left. You ask them, if you had to do your life over, would you do anything different? 9.9 times out of 10, they'll tell you yes. They'll never tell you, I wish I had worked more at work. I wish I'd put in more hours and overtime. They'll never tell you that. I wish I had scrimped and saved harder so I could have more money. They'll never tell you that. What they will tell you are the true values of life. I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I had served God more. I wish I had been to church more, faithful they'll tell you on their deathbed. That's when the truth comes out. Sometimes these criminals, when they're about to be put to death and executed, they'll confess to all of the crimes they've done. They'll want to leave with a clean conscience or something, but that's when the truth really comes out. An immature Christian, an immature Christian or a new Christian, can get confused and think that bigger is better They think that the nickel is much more valuable than the dime. What a mistake. Hopefully the truth comes out. Now in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, we have this story before us of the Lord Jesus. The Passover was one of the most important feasts of the Jewish calendar, and it was... Celebrated there at Jerusalem, Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he got to the temple and here's what he found. He found those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money. You say, what's wrong with oxen, sheep and dove? Didn't they need those? Yes, they needed them for sacrifice. What about the changers of money? Didn't they need those? Someone comes from afar, maybe from uh, the Roman quarter of the world, and they've got Roman money. They need to change it into the temple money. What's wrong with that? In itself, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that they were polluting the house of God with all that. It was not to be done in the house of God. And so Jesus, when he came in, he was so zealous for God, and listen, for the things of God, that he went and made himself a whip. What did the whip look like? Your imagination can fill in the details, but it must have hurt. He made a whip, a scourge of several cords, and he started to flang this thing around. I don't know if he actually hit anyone. It doesn't say. But he flipped over tables. he, He opened up the cages with the pigeons in it or whatever and let loose the sheep and drove. Maybe he used the whip to drive the animals out. Maybe that. But he drove all this stuff out. And then he said here in verse 16, he said, look at it. He look at it. It says, take these things hence. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. He drove it all out. Now, some of you who are fathers and mothers Supposing you got home and you found that your son and daughter had brought a lot of the filth of the world into the house. Supposing that your daughter brought a boy in who's smoking marijuana and shooting up drugs. Your son brought in two or three prostitutes. Mom, dad, what would you do? Would you not say, hey, this is our home. Get that stuff out of here. Would you not push and drive them out and get them out? Or would you say, oh, well, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, Uh, let them alone, you know, they'll come home wagging their tails behind them or some such nonsense? What would you do if you found that your son or daughter was involved with some really bad stuff? Would you just let it continue? Or would you do what needs to be done, and Jesus was so zealous for God and for the things of God that he, he it let, it literally ate him up. In verse 17, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, it says. Listen here to the words of a man who was willing to give his entire life for his cause. He said <clears throat> at no time and in no circumstances should he place his personal interests first, he should subordinate. Hence, selfishness, slacking, corruption, seeking the limelight are most contemptible, while selflessness, working with all one's energy, wholehearted devotion, quiet hard work will command respect. These are not words of a Christian preacher. These are not words from a Christian at all. These are the words of communist Mao Zedong, known as the Chinese Chairman Mao, explaining what it meant to be a good communist. The final goal of communism is world domination. And listen, if communists are willing to be that zealous for their godless religion, why can't God's people be at least that zealous for God? Does that make sense? Amen? Some Christians might struggle with this. They might wonder if being zealous might make them look strange. Well, you know, if we get zealous for God, we're going to look like oddballs in the world. Go explain that to your sports fan. You get all excited about your sports fan, it's going to make you look strange, you know that. They say, no, it doesn't, it makes us look normal. You're the one that looks strange sitting there in a crowd of 50,000 with your arms folded. You're the one that looks strange without all the memorabilia in your home like we have in ours. You should be more like us, they say. Christian, if you're going to get zealous for God, it will make you look a little odd to the world. I know that there are laws in place that say you're not allowed to take a Bible to school. How about a pocket New Testament? Why can't when you open your locker at school, you have some Christian poster there? But it'll make me look odd. That's the whole point of it. Why can't we take our Bible into work with us? Oh, the, the boss says no, no religious things here at all. Really? And they allow ceremonial daggers, do they? But you're not allowed to take a Bible. How about a pocket testament? Keep it in your pocket or your purse. Many a Christian has taken a Bible in, just put it on the desk as a good testimony of who they are. Yeah, but they'll make fun of me in the lunchroom. Let them. Just think of how God will praise you in heaven. Too easily we're shied away, we get scared. If I get zealous for God, what will it make me look like? Well, let's take our Bible and go back to the book of Psalms. Psalm 27. I apologize for my voice this morning. It was good. This morning, earlier. You know, when I first got this voice when I was born, there was nothing wrong with it. Boy, could I scream. Psalm 27. Now, I want you to read with me verse 4. You got it there, Psalm 27? Everyone reading. If someone beside you doesn't have a Bible, share yours with them. Point out where verse 4 is. Let's begin, and let's read out loud, everyone. Here we go. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple." Wow. If we are zealous for the house of God, which today is the church, we won't be making whips and driving out the merchandisers. Don't worry about that. We're not going to do what Jesus did. He only did it once or twice. But what we will be doing is at least three things. If you get zealous for the house of God, there are at least three things you will be doing. Number one is we will be faithful to the services. If you get zealous, you will be faithful to the services. We'll do our very best to be here Sundays and Wednesdays, unless we're working or unless we're sick. The football game is no excuse to stay away from church. The beach, you don't hear the beach calling you on a Sunday morning. That's not the beach calling you. I think that's the devil calling you. Someone, some bright and stupid person says, Well, I can worship God in a forest if I want. Well, my response is, Then go out to the forest. Go ahead. But you never do. (laughs) Well, I can worship God on the beach. Well, then go and worship God on the beach and get on your knees and pray. They never do. They like to wear their string bikinis and lay out there for all to see on the beach but they won't get on their knees and pray on the beach. They're hypocrites is what they are. They never go off in the forest and get down on their knees and pray. They're hypocrites is what they are. These people who say, I don't have to go to church. I can worship God out there in the field. Well, then why don't I see you worshiping God out there in the field? Because they're hypocrites is what they are. They just won't go to the house of the Lord. Fine, they don't have to. One day they'll wish they had. But if you and I are going to be zealous, we're going to be faithful to the services. We're going to make sure that we're here early and on time. Number two, if we're going to be zealous, we're going to be prayerful for the saints. Number one, we're going to be faithful to the services. Number two, we're going to be prayerful for the saints. If we're zealous, we're going to go to God in prayer every day. And we're going to be praying for the pastor and people of our church. And we're going to be praying for the lost people as well. Number three, we're going to be helpful in serving. Helpful in serving. Faithful in the service, prayerful for the saints, helpful in serving. If we're zealous, we're going to get involved, folks. Do you know that in the average church across North America, out of 100% of the congregation, 20% do the work of the ministry? 80% come and sit. It's a spectator sport for 80% in the average church. In our church, the percentage is better than that. We're better than 20%, but we're not 100%. You will know if you're zealous. You will know if you're zealous for God, if you're faithful, and if you're prayerful, and if you're serving. Say, well, what could I possibly do? I can't preach. And from the sounds of a pastor, neither can you. So what is there left? eh? What can I do? Well, I tell you what you can do. There's tons of job here in the church. There's soul winning. There's choir. By the way, if you're part of the choir, you need to be here Sunday morning, evening, and Wednesday. There's nursery. There's ushering. There's security. There's cleaning. There's one of the many other opportunities available here in this church. If we're to be zealous for God's house, you say, what will the payoff be? If I get involved, if I become zealous, what's going to happen? What's the result? You're in the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalm 92, and I'll show you. Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Again, I'd like you to read with me. You can do that, right? You can read out loud with me, can't you? Verse 13, Psalm 92, verse 13. Everyone. No excuses. Everyone, let's read together. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. There it is right there. Flourishing. Flourishing is the real payoff. That's where it begins. You will flourish for God. You'll have spiritual power. You'll have a great and useful life. Don't worry about your needs. God knows you need all of the things of life that you need, and he will supply those needs. All you've got to do is open up the Gospel of Matthew and read the Sermon on the Mount and you'll see God, Jesus, own words and promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You don't have to live your life like the world lives their life. You can live your life for God and you can be zealous for God like Jesus because he is our example. If he can do it, so can we we can be zealous for God and flourishing is the real payoff where it begins now in trying to make people understand the importance of the things of God Jesus said in Luke 16:11 if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon that means the things of the world who will commit to your trust the true riches i want you to know that there are far far exceeding things beyond what you see and hear in this world. Oh, my job, oh, my paycheck, oh, my, my wardrobe, oh, my furniture, my house, my car, my, my cottage, my vacations, on and on it goes. These things are the lesser. There are things far greater, the true riches. Jesus said it, Jesus who knows everything because he's God, Jesus who can see the greater and more valuable things. He can see the value of the dime over the nickel. You and I, we see the nickel and we say, oh, there it is, folks. God says, no, there's something more. He says, the true riches. Jesus, more than anyone else, knew that the things of this world are not what they appear to be. He knew that the things of this world often lead people away, away from God. The things of this world are often used to confuse people and cause them to mix up their priorities in life. Uh, Turn to Matthew. Let's go there, please, shall we? This will be the last scripture we look at. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're just about finished here. My poor old voice is just about shot, too. Matthew 7. I'd like you to look at verse 13 and 14. I tell you what, you just follow with me. You read it. I'll read it out loud for you. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about eternal death, eternal life. He's talking about hell. He's talking about heaven. And here, Jesus is trying to make us see and open our eyes that the things of this world are not what they appear to be. You live your life for the things of this world, you will regret it. You will regret it as you're here today. You will regret it one day. Now, I got a picture for you. Can you imagine a house builder? who got his priorities mixed up. Do we have that picture? Do you see anything wrong with that photo? Yeah? Now, you've got eyes to see, don't you? Here's our little house builder friend with his dog, Fido. And he's very proud of what he's done. But his priorities are mixed up. You see, what he's got exposed are all of the footings and foundations. And he's left the best part, the true riches, buried. And I'll wager you this, that a lot of people are making the same dumb, dumb mistake in life. And they're thinking, oh, I've got to get my career, my job, my vacation, you know, my annual increase. I've got to get uh, my health benefits, my dental. I've got I've to have uh, all kinds of uh, new things. I've got to have new cars, got to have uh, good-looking clothes, and on and on it goes. And the true riches are ignored. Priorities mixed up. I wonder if there's anyone here today with mixed-up priorities. Did you know that some people actually think A BAD MARRIAGE IS BETTER THAN NO MARRIAGE. SOME PEOPLE ACTUALLY BELIEVE THAT WITH ALL THEIR HEART. OH, A BAD MARRIAGE IS BETTER THAN NO MARRIAGE. REALLY? Hmm. WHERE DID YOU LEARN THAT? BECAUSE YOU DIDN'T LEARN IT FROM GOD'S BOOK. I GUESS YOU COULD PUT THAT PICTURE AWAY. LET'S SUMMARIZE what, WHAT WE'RE TRYING TO SAY. HOW CAN WE MEASURE OUR HEARTS? and see if we're zealous or not for God. Remember, we took a a visit to the sports fanatic, and basically what we found is that if we hate the things of sports, we're going to end up hating sports. If we love the things of sports, we're going to end up loving sports, and we'll probably become zealous and maybe even a fanatic for sports. I would say that if if we hate certain things of a man, we'll probably end up hating that man. But if we love the things of a man, we'll probably end up loving that man. I've given you the story of a lady who met a young man at a party. This lady loved to read books. One of the books she read she thought was a confusing, dumb book, and she fired it in the corner. She goes to a social gathering and meets a a young man and finds out he's an author. Well, well, what books have you written? He names the book she fired in the corner. That was his book. Well, after that night, she ran home and she found that book and she opened it and started reading it. And she had a new love for that book because she met the author. Very same principle. When you really know God, when you get serious about God, you're going to be serious about his Bible. You're going to be serious about his church. You'll be zealous. You see? Can you honestly say today that you're zealous for the things of God? Can you honestly say that? When we compare you with the sports fan down the street, That guy who's in Seattle, having paid all that money to drive all the way down to Seattle, take a hotel room and the meals and all that, just so that at 12 o'clock today he could be sitting in a big stadium and watching a football being thrown around. And he's going to come back all pumped and charged up. And he's going to talk about the game, the game. And he's going to talk about certain plays in the game. And he's going to talk about certain players in the game. And he's going to talk about who won and who lost and how they could have done things better out there on the field. And that's all he's going to talk about for the next week. This guy doesn't even know I'm talking about him. I've never even met this guy. But I know what he's going to do. And how about you and I, my Christian friend? How zealous are we for the things of God? because that'll tell you how zealous you are for God. If you're zealous for the things of God, you will be zealous for God. Now, you need to look into your heart today and say, where am I at? Maybe it's the desire of your heart to be a little more zealous. And if it is, I want to invite you on this invitation. In just a moment, we'll stand to our feet. We'll have a word of prayer. And I want to invite you, take this opportunity. Come now. On the invitation and get on your knees and pray and ask God to help you he's the only one who can Lord I don't think I'm zealous enough would you fix whatever the problem is Lord I want to be more sold out for you I want to hold in higher regard the things you've given me the Bible and the church and the pastor whose voice is breaking up there I want to hold in high regard the things you've given me Lord I don't know how to fix my problem Would you fix it for me? that's what you need to say. That's how you need to pray. And let the Lord fix your problem. Just like if you're here today and you're not saved, you can't fix that yourself. You need to say, Lord, fix it for me. Save my soul. Let's stand to our feet now, shall we? And then we'll have a word of prayer together.